0: One of the most fearful catastrophes which has come upon the churches and those terming theirs assemblies during the past century has been the repetition of what God complained of of old. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. Jeremiah 23, 21 To intrude into the sacred office calls down heaven's curse 2 Samuel 6, verses 6 and 7. But Elisha's acceptance of this call from God not only meant the throwing up of a comfortable, worldly position and the breaking away from home and natural ties, it also involved his following or casting in his lot with one who was very far from being a popular hero. Elijah had powerful enemies who more than once had made determined attempts on his life. Those were dangerous times when persecution was not only a possibility but a probability. It was well then for Elisha to sit down and count the cost. By consorting with Elijah, he would be exposed to the malice of Jezebel and all her priests. The same is true in principle of the Christian minister. Christ is despised and rejected of men, and to be faithfully engaged in his service is to court the hostility not only of the secular, but of the religious world as well. It was on religious grounds that Jezebel persecuted Elijah, and it is by the false prophets of Christendom and their devotees, that the genuine ministers of God will be most hated and hounded. Not but love for Christ and his people will enable Elisha to triumph over his enemies. And he returned back from him, and took a yoke of oxen, and slew them, and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. This farewell feast was a token of joy in his new calling, an expression of gratitude to God for his distinguishing favor, and the burning of the oxen's tackle, a sign that he was bidding a final adieu to his old employment. Those oxen and tools of industry wherein his former labors had been bestowed were now gladly devoted to the celebration of the high honor of being called to engage in the service of God Himself. Those who rightly esteem the sacred ministry will freely renounce every other interest and pleasure, though called upon to labor amid poverty and persecution. Yea, they who enter into the work of our heavenly Master without holy cheerfulness are not at all likely to prosper therein. Levi the publican made Christ a great feast in his own house to celebrate his call to the ministry, inviting a great company thereto. Luke 5, 27-29 Then he arose and went after Elijah. See here the power of the Holy Spirit. The evidence of God's effectual call is a heart made willing to respond thereto. Divine grace is able to subdue every lust, conquer every prejudice, surmount every difficulty. Elisha left his worldly employment, the riches to which he was heir, his parents and friends, and threw in his lot with one who was an outcast here. Thus it was with Moses, who refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Hebrews 11:24 to 26 Love for Christ and his saints, faith in his ultimate well-done, were the motive springs of his actions, and this must actuate one entering the ministry today. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him, 1 Kings nineteen twenty one. That was the final element in this initial test. Was he prepared to take a subordinate and lowly place to become a servant, subjecting himself to the will of another? That is what a servant is, one who places himself at the disposal of another, ready to take orders from him, desirous of promoting his interests. He who would be given important commissions must prove himself Thus did God approve of Stephen's service to the poor, Acts 6, verse 5, by later admitting him to address the leaders of the nation, Acts 7, verses 1 and 2, because Philip disdained not to serve tables, Acts 6, 2 and 5, he was advanced to the rank of missionary to the Gentiles, Acts 8, 5, 26. On the other hand, Mark was discontented to be merely a servant of an apostle, Acts 13, 5 and 13, and so lost the opportunity of being trained for personal participation in the most momentous missionary journey ever undertaken. Elisha became the servant of God's servant, and we shall see God willing how he was rewarded. Chapter 3. His Testing In our last chapter, we pointed out that the peculiar relation which existed between Elijah and Elisha foreshadowed that which pertains to Christ and his servants, and that the early experiences through which Elisha passed are those which substantially each genuine minister of the gospel is called upon to encounter. All the preliminary details recorded of the prophet ere his mission commenced must have their counterpart in the early history of any who is used of God in the work of his kingdom. Those experiences in the case of Elisha began with a definite call from the Lord, and that is still his order of procedure. That call was followed by a series of very real testings, which may well be designated a preliminary course of discipline. Those testings were many and varied. They were seven in number, which at once indicates the thoroughness and completeness of the ordeal through which Elisha went and by which He was schooled for the future. If we are not to ignore here the initial one, there will of necessity be a slight overlapping between this section and what was before us in our last chapter. First the testing of his affections. This occurred at the time he received his call to devote the whole of his time and energies the service of God and his people. A stern test it was. Elisha was not one who had failed in temporal matters and now desired to better his position, nor was he deprived of those who cherished him and so anxious to enter a more continual circle. Far from it, he was the son of a well-to-do farmer living with parents to whom he was devotedly attached. Response to Elijah's casting of the prophetic mantle upon him meant not only the giving up of favorable worldly prospects, but the severing of happy home ties. The issue was plainly drawn, which should dominate zeal for Jehovah or love for his parents? That Elisha was very far from being one of a cold and unfeeling disposition is clear from a number of things. When Elijah bade him remain at Bethel, he replied, I will not leave thee. 2 Kings 2 verse 2 And when his master was caught away from him, he evidenced his deep grief by crying out, My father, my father and by rending his garments asunder. Verse 12. No, Elisha was no stoic, and it cost him something to break away from his loved ones. But he shrank not from the sacrifice demanded of him. He left the oxen with which he had been plowing, and ran after Elijah, asking only, Let me, I pray thee, Kiss my father and my mother, and I will follow thee. First Kings 19, verse 20 Permission being granted, a hasty and farewell speech was made, and he took his departure, and the sacred narrative contains no mention that he ever returned home, even for a brief visit. Dutiful respect, yea, tender regard, was shown for his parents but he did not prefer them before God. The Lord does not require his servants to callously ignore their filial duty, but he does claim the first place in their hearts. And unless one who is contemplating an entrance into the ministry is definitely prepared to accord him that, he should at once abandon his quest. No man is eligible for the ministry, unless he is ready to resolutely subordinate natural ties to spiritual bonds. Blessedly did the spirit prevail over the flesh in Elisha's response to this initial trial. Second, the testing of his sincerity. This occurred at the outset of the final journey of the two prophets. And it came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, Second Kings 2, 1 and 2. Various reasons have been advanced by the commentators as to why the Tishbite should have made such a request. Some think it was because he wished to be alone, that modesty and humility would not suffer that his companion should witness the very great honor which was about to be bestowed upon him. Others suppose it was because he desired to spare Elisha the grief of a final leave-taking. But in view of all that follows, and taking this detail in connection with the whole incident, we believe these words of the prophet bear quite a different interpretation, namely that Elijah was now making proof of Elisha's determination and attachment to him. At the time of his call, Elisha had said, I will follow thee, and now he was given the opportunity to go back if he were so disposed. There was one who accompanied the apostle Paul for a while but later he had to lament, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed into Thessalonica. 2 Timothy 4.10 Many have done likewise, daunted by the difficulties of the way, discouraged by the unfavorable response to their efforts, their ardor cooled, and they concluded they had mistaken their calling or because only small and unattractive fields opened to them, they decided to better themselves by returning to worldly employment. To what numbers do those solemn words of Christ apply? No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke 9.62 Far otherwise was it with Elisha, No fleeting impression had actuated him when he declared to Elijah, I will follow thee. And when he was put to the proof as to whether or not he was prepared to follow him to the end of the course, he successfully stood the test and gave evidence of his unwavering fidelity. As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee was his unflinching response, Oh, for like stability! Third, the testing of his will or resolution. From Gilgal Elijah and his companion had gone on to Bethel, and there he encountered a subtle temptation, one which had prevailed over any whose heart was not thoroughly established. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? 2 Kings 2 verse 3 Which was as much as saying, Why think of going on any further? What is the use of it when the Lord is on the point of taking him from thee? And mark it well. They who he sought to make him waver from his course were not the agents of Jezebel, but those who were on the side of the Lord. Nor was it just one who would deter Elisha, but apparently the whole body of the prophets endeavored to persuade him that he should relinquish his purpose. It is in this very way God tries the mettle of his servants to make evident to themselves and others whether they are vacillating or steadfast, whether they are regulated wholly by His call and will, or whether their course is directed by the counsels of men. A holy independency is to mark the servant of God, thus it was with the chief of the apostles. I conferred not with flesh and blood, Galatians 1.16, Had he done so, what trouble would he have made for himself? Had he listened to the varied advice the other apostles would proffer? What a state of confusion his own mind had been in! If Christ be my Master, then it is from Him and from Him alone I must take my orders. Until I am sure of His will, I must continue to wait upon him. Once it is clear to me, I must set out on the performance of it, and nothing must move me to turn aside. So it was here. Elisha had been divinely called to follow Elijah, and he was determined to cleave to him unto the end, even though it meant going against the well meant advice and offending the whole of his fellows. Hold ye your peace, was his reply. This was one of the trials which the present writer encountered over thirty years ago when his pastor and Christian friends urged him to enter a theological seminary, though they knew that deadly error was taught there. It was not easy to take his stand against them, but he is deeply thankful he did so. Forth the testing of his faith. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. Second Kings 2, 4 Tarry here. They were at Bethel, and this was a place of sacred memories. It was here that Jacob had spent his first night as he fled from the wrath of his brothers. Here he had been favored with that vision of the ladder whose top reached unto heaven and beheld the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Here it was Jehovah had revealed himself and given him precious promises. When he awakened, Jacob said, Surely the Lord is in this place. This is none other but the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Genesis 28. Delectable spot was this, the place of divine communion. Ah, one which is supremely attractive to those who are spiritually minded and therefore one which such are entirely loath to leave. What can be more desirable than to abide where such privileges and favors are enjoyed? So felt Peter on the holy mount. As he beheld Christ transfigured, and Moses and Elijah talking with him, he said, Lord, it is good to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Let us remain and enjoy such bliss. But that could not be. God still tests His servants at this very point. They are in some place where the smile of heaven manifestly rests upon their labors. The Lord's presence is real. His secrets are revealed to them and intimate communion is enjoyed with Him. If He followed His own inclinations, He would fain remain there, but He is not free to please Himself. He is the servant of another and must do his bidding. Elijah had announced, The Lord hath sent me to Jericho, and if Elijah was to follow him to the end, then to Jericho he too must go. True, Jericho was far less attractive than Bethel, but the will of God pointed clearly to it. It is not the consideration of his own tastes and comforts which is to actuate the minister of Christ, but the performance of duty, no matter where it leads to. The Mount of Transfiguration made a powerful appeal unto Peter, but at the base thereof there was a demon-possessed youth in dire need of deliverance. Matthew 17, 14-18 Elisha resisted the tempting prospect, saying again, I will not leave thee, Oh for like fidelity. Fifth, the testing of his patience. This was a twofold one. When the two prophets arrived at Jericho, the younger one suffered a repetition of what he had experienced at Bethel, Once again, The sons of the prophets from the local school accosted him, saying, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? Elijah himself they left alone, but his companion was set upon by them. It is the connection in which this occurs that supplies the key to its meaning. The whole passage brings before us Elisha being tested first in one way and at one point and then at another. That he should meet with a repetition at Jericho of what he had encountered at Bethel is an intimation that the servant of God needs to be specially on his guard at this point. He must not put his trust even in princes temporal or spiritual, but cease entirely from man, trusting in the Lord and leaning not unto his own understanding. Though it was annoying to be pestered thus by these men, yet Elisha made them a courteous reply, yet one which showed them he was not to be turned away from his purpose. Yea, I know it, hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. This he said to prove him, as the Saviour tested the two disciples on the way to Emmaus when he made as though he would have gone further. Luke 24, 28 Much ground had been traversed since they had set out together from Gilgal, was Elisha growing tired of the journey, or was he prepared to persevere unto the end? How many grow weary of well doing and fail to reap because they faint? How many fail at this point of testing and drop out when providence appears to afford them a favorable opportunity of so doing? Elisha might have pleaded. I may be of some service here to the young prophets, but of what use can I be to Elijah at the Jordan? Philip was being greatly used of God in Samaria. Acts 8.12 When the angel of the Lord bade him, Arise and go south unto Gaza, which is desert. Verse 26 And he arose and went, and God honored his obedience. And Elisha said to his master, I will not leave thee, no, not at the eleventh hour, and great was his reward. Sixth, the testing of his character. And it came to pass, when they were gone over the Jordan, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee? Second Kings 2 verse 9 Here is clear proof that Elijah had been making trial of his companion when he had at the different stopping places bade him tarry here or remain behind. For certainly he had extended no such an offer as this had he been disobedient and acting in self-will. Clearly, the Tishbite was so well pleased with Elisha's devotion and attendance that he determined to reward him with some parting blessing. Ask, what I shall do for thee? If this was not the most searching of all the tests, certainly it was the most revealing. What was his heart really set upon? What did he desire above all else? At first glance it seemed surprising that Elijah should fling open so wide a door and offer to supply anything his successor should ask. But not only had they spent several years together, Elisha's reaction to the other testings convinced him that this faithful soul would ask nothing which was incongruous or which God could not give. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. He rose above all fleshly and worldly desires, all that the natural heart would crave, and asked for that which would be most for the glory of God and the good of his people. Elisha sought neither wealth nor honors worldly power or prestige. What he asked for was that he might receive that which marked him out as Elijah's firstborn, the heir of his official patrimony. Deuteronomy 21.17. It was a noble request. The work to which he was called involved heavy responsibilities and the facing of grave dangers. And for the discharge of his duties, he needed to be equipped with spiritual power. That is what every servant of God needs above everything else, to be endued with power from on high. The most splendid faculties, the ablest intellect, the richest acquirements, count for nothing unless they be energized by the Holy One, The work of the ministry is such that no man is naturally qualified for it. Only God can make any meat for the same. For that endowment the apostles waited upon God for ten days. To obtain it, Elisha had to successfully endure the previous testings, pass through Jordan and keep his eye fixed steadily upon His Master. Seventh, the testing of His endowment. When we ask God for something it is often His way to test our earnestness and importunity by keeping us waiting for it, and then when He grants our request to put our fidelity to the proof in the use we make of the same. If it be faith that is bestowed, Circumstances arise which are apt to call into exercise all our doubts and fears. If it be wisdom which is given, situations soon confront us where we are sorely tempted to give way to folly. If it be courage which is imparted, then perils will have to be faced which are calculated to make the stoutest quake. When we receive some spiritual gift, God so orders things that opportunity is afforded for the exercise of it. It was thus with Elisha. A double portion of Elijah's spirit was granted him and the prophetic mantle of his master fell at his feet. What use would he make of the same? As this comes before in our text, Suffice it now to say that he was confronted by the Jordan. He was on the wrong side of it, and no longer was there any Elijah to divide asunder its waters. We turn now from the testings to which Elijah was subjected unto the course which he had to take. The spiritual significance of his journey has also to receive its counterpart. In the experiences of the servant of Christ. That journey began at Gilgal, second Kings two, verse one, and none can work acceptably in the kingdom of God until his soul is acquainted with what that place stands for. It was the first stopping place of Israel after they entered Canaan, and where they were required to tarry ere they set out on the conquest of their inheritance. Joshua 5 verse 9 It was there that all the males who had been born in the wilderness were circumcised. Now circumcision speaks of separation from the world, consecration to God, and the knife's application to the flesh. Figuratively, it stood for the cutting off of the old life, the rolling away of the reproach of Egypt. There is a circumcision of the heart, Romans 2, 29, and it is that which is the distinguishing mark of God's spiritual children as circumcision of the flesh had identified his earthly people. Gilgal, then, is where the path of God's servant, must necessarily begin. Not until he unsparingly mortifies the flesh, separates from the world, and consecrates himself unreservedly to God, is he prepared to journey further. From Gilgal, Elisha passed on to Bethel, which means the house of God. As we have seen it was originally the place of hallowed memories, but in the course of time it had been grievously defiled. Bethel had been horribly polluted, for it was there that Jeroboam set up one of his golden calves, appointed an idolatrous priesthood, and led the people into terrible sin. 1 Kings 12:28 and 33. Amos 3, 3 3-5 Elisha must visit the place so that he might be suitably affected with the dishonor done unto the Lord. History has repeated itself. The house of God, the professing church, is defiled, and the servant of Christ must take to heart the apostate condition of Christendom today if his ministry is to be effective. From Bethel they proceeded to Jericho, a place that was under God's curse. Joshua 6, 26, 1 Kings sixteen thirty four. The servant of God needs to enter deeply into the solemn fact that this world is under the curse of a holy God. And what is that curse? Death. Romans 6.23 And it is of that the Jordan, the final stopping place, speaks. That too must be passed through in the experience of his soul if the minister is to be effectual. Chapter 4 First Miracle The relation between Elijah and Elisha was that of Master. 2 Kings 2.16, and servant, 2 Kings 3.11, and thus it set forth that which exists between Christ and his ministers. For some time Elijah himself occupied the stage of action, but upon the completion of his mission and, after a miraculous passage through Jordan, he was supernaturally removed to heaven. Thus it was with the one whom he foreshadowed. When the Savior had finished the work given him to do, and had risen in triumph from the grave, he ascended on high. But men were appointed by him to serve as ambassadors in the world from which he departed, to act in his name and perpetuate his mission. So it was with his type. Elisha was to succeed Elijah and carry forward what he had inaugurated, in order thereto he had been called by him. Then we saw in our last how that Elisha was subjected to a series of testings which shattered forth the disciplinary experiences by which the servant of Christ approves himself and through which. He is schooled for his life's work. Then we viewed the path which Elisha was required to tread and pointed out briefly the spiritual significance thereof in connection with the preparatory history of the minister of the gospel. One other preliminary feature remains for our consideration, namely the endowment Elisha received. It will be remembered that when Elijah had put to his companion that searching question, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee, Elisha had replied, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. This, we believe, betokened three things. First it revealed his modesty and humility, being an acknowledgment of his weakness and insufficiency. He was conscious of his unfitness for his mission and felt that nothing but a plentiful supply of the Spirit which had rested upon the Tishbite would avail for the tasks confronting him. Happy the young servant of Christ, who is aware of his own impotency for in felt weakness lies his strength. Happy the one who has experimentally learned the force of that word, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Zechariah 4, verse 6. Second, if Elijah was to take Elijah's place at the head of the schools of the prophets, then he needed a superior endowment to theirs, a double supply of the spirit of wisdom and power. Third, as the accredited servant of God, he needed more than the rank and file of his people, not only the spirit indwelling, but also the spirit resting upon him. We have only to turn to the final discourse, of our Lord unto His Apostles, recorded in John 14-16, to to discover the part which the Holy Spirit must play if His servants are to be duly equipped for their work. First, He declared He would pray the Father that another paraclete or comforter should be given there, who would abide with Him forever, John 14-16. Then he promised this blessed Comforter, sent in his name, would teach them all things. 15.26 It was by means of the Spirit of truth given unto them that they would be enabled to bear testimony unto their Master. 15.26-27 He would guide them into all truth, show them things to come and glorify Christ by a fuller revelation to them of the mystery of His person, office, and work. 16.13-15 In the book of Acts we see how those promises were made good. They were already indwelt by the Spirit of life. John 20.22 20, But the power of the Holy Spirit was to come upon them. Acts one verse eight this took place on the day of Pentecost when there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they the apostles acts one twenty six were all filled with the holy spirit acts two three and four this thing is the The deep need of the servant of Christ, that he be enabled by the Spirit, for without such an anointing, his labors can only prove ineffectual. It was thus that Christ himself was furnished, Matthew 3.16, Acts 10.38, and the disciple is not greater than his Lord. Much has been said and written on the subject of the minister being endowed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and varied indeed are the directions given as to what must be done in order to enter into this blessing. Personally, we have long been convinced that the position occupied by the Apostles was an entirely unique one, and therefore we are certainly not warranted in praying and looking for any supernatural enduements such as they received. On the other hand, we must be careful of going to an opposite extreme and concluding there is no special and distinct anointing by the Spirit which the servants of God need today. Elisha shows otherwise. For his case is, we believe, a typical and representative one. Taking it for granted, then, that most of our hearers will concur in these remarks, we proceed to the important question, what is required of the minister if he is to enjoy a double portion of the Spirit? In answering this inquiry, we will restrict ourselves to what is recorded of Elisha. In his case, there were two things. First, the passage through Jordan, for it is to be duly noted that Elijah did not ask him, What shall I do for thee? until they had gone through its divided waters. Now the Jordan stands for death. Jeremiah twelve five. And death must be experimentally passed through before we can know the power of resurrection. The minister has to die to self, to all self pleasing and self seeking, before the Spirit of God will use him. Second, the prophet had to keep his eye fixed steadily upon his master if his desire was to be realized. 2 Kings 2.10 It is all summed up in those words of Paul, Not I, but Christ. Galatians 2.20 Just in proportion as self is set aside and the magnifying of Christ be the aim and goal of my ministry, is an ungrieved spirit likely to use me. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven and Elisha saw. 2 Kings 2, 11 and 12 Of course he did. God never disappoints those who renounce self and are Occupied solely with Christ, Elijah had made the granting of Elisha's request turn upon this very thing, If thou seest me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. Additional incentive, then, had the young prophet to keep his gaze steadfastly on his master.